0: The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading.
1: Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen.
0: We saw a fairly quiet day to start off the week on Monday with some decent strength in soybeans and soybean meal. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks for being with us here today on the program. As always, uh, I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Happy to take a look at what's happening in the commodity and livestock markets with you and other issues that are impacting rural America. Again, a fairly quiet start to the week overall. We have China and South America on holiday this week, so that could take a little bit of volume out of these markets, and uh, generally money flow was good on the day Monday, although it was rather quiet to start off the week. We're going to talk markets here coming up on the program today. We're going to have a discussion with John Heinberg from Total Farm Marketing, get his perspective on how the market trade is looking here as we kicked off the week on Monday. Also, we're going to take a look at weather coming up here on the program with Eric Snodgrass from Nutrient Ag Solutions. He'll give us a rundown of where things stand this week as we're getting into the middle of February. We're watching North American weather and South American weather. We'll talk to Eric coming up here in segment two today on Market Talk. So uh, appreciate you being with us once again as uh, overall fairly quiet start to the week as I mentioned. Money flow was generally okay, but it was just light in volume, not much really happening in the markets uh, on Monday. We do have plenty of economic data that's going to be thrown our way this week in the U.S. That could have an impact in the outside markets, including uh, the consumer price index and the producer price index is both set to be released. We'll get retail data as well, retail sales data as well as housing starts. Uh, all of that coming out here this week as well, and that could be probably one of, if not the main uh, driver for money flow potential here into commodities and livestock as we go throughout the week. We talk about that and the general quietness in the market trade on Monday. First up with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. He joined us for our midday commentary on Monday and gave us his thoughts on the outside markets, the livestock trade, and the grain trade, the quiet action we saw there to start the week. Here's Arlen Suderman.
2: It is pretty quiet overall, and we started off with kind of a a mixed kind of since early in the day, kind of consolidating a little bit higher for corn and soybeans after how much we had sold them off and uh, the speculative shorts had built big short positions in there that were making traders a little bit nervous. And then about 10 o'clock Chicago time, we had the export inspection data come in for the week ending February 8th. And it was a little better than what was anticipated. Uh, And especially for soybeans, we saw a big 12 million bushel upward adjustment in last week's data, which is a pretty large adjustment for the previous week. That moved uh, last week to a 12-week high, so we're starting to narrow that gap a little bit of uh, the deficit that we were on export shipments for soybeans. We're still short of the seasonal pace needed to hit USDA's target by about 25 million bushels even after USDA lowered their export target by 35 million bushels on Thursday. Uh, but as, as much as we've sold off, the market was looking for something positive they can hang on to, and that was kind of it.
0: Well, and I, I know with this week, with uh, China on a holiday, much of South America on a holiday, it, it feels like that we could be lacking a lot of news here this week. I would have to uh, maybe think that uh, attention could turn to the outside markets because there's plenty of economic data that is set to be released here this week in the U.S., right, Arlen?
2: Yeah, there really is, and that could help shape the money flow as we go forward. As we look at this week's data, um, we've got inflation data coming out for the consumer price information on Tuesday, and then we get retail sales on Thursday. Also, we get additional housing data on Thursday and Friday, both, and along with some manufacturing data and producer price data coming out on Friday. Um, so, will the inflation be hotter or cooler than what was anticipated? Will retail sales be hotter or cooler? We've been seeing some inflation coming back in the shelter areas and as particularly in the housing sector. Is that going to heat things up? All of that shaping what they think, what Wall Street thinks that uh, the Federal Reserve is going to do when they meet in 37 days. Um, relative to interest rates, and that has a big impact on money flow either into or out of the commodity sector.
0: Over in the livestock trade, a decent start to the week in feeder cattle, a little more mixed in uh, live cattle and lean hogs. Any notes of the proteins today?
2: Yeah, we're certainly seeing evidence that uh, we've got a hole coming in the supplies of feeder cattle, so that's been supporting that feeder cattle market and had been supporting supporting the fat cattle market as well. Last week's uh, slaughter came in at about 622,000 head, which uh, this week we'll probably see an even smaller number. We saw one packer slow the chain speed last week. We'll see another one join them this week, uh, trying to improve their margin somewhat, but see, have to be seen how that's going to impact the actual cash market with the supply being down right now with the weather really taking weight off cattle we also had a winter storm come in over the weekend in the in the southwestern plains feedlot district that's going to negatively impact production from that area as well but we are consolidating prices in a quiet day today hog seeing a little bit of a bounce as we go into midday overall that that's welcome after a Big drop pullback from the gains that we saw last month and uh, more of a consolidation higher here.
0: And once again, comments there with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joining us in our midday commentary on Monday. Well, Chief Agricultural Negotiator Doug McCaleb spoke during the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture's Winter Policy Conference and talked about ag trade. McCaleb says the last couple of years have gone well, but there's always room for improvement.
3: How do we do more in the area of trade? I'll tell you, we've had two years of record farm exports. We're about to set a third year of very, very strong agricultural exports. And we've had three years of record farm income. Even though we've got a record $200 billion of ag exports last year, only about four or five markets around the globe have been responsible for where those commodities go. He says
0: USTR understands the need to open up new markets.
3: Under 20% of U.S. farmers have been involved in getting about 89% of the export dollars that the U.S. trades in. So that means we need to do everything we can to find new markets, to make sure that we are diversifying, to make sure that all commodities, all crop types are able to be successful in agriculture trade.
0: And McCaleb hit some of the trade highlights from 2023.
3: I'd like to start with India because it's a country that I don't think, when I addressed this group last January, that we would have suspected would have been at the top of our list on agricultural trade. India dropped tariffs on a pretty lengthy list of commodities, and I'll run through them real quickly. Pecans, industrial ethanol, apples, turkey, duck, blueberries, cranberries, peas and lentils, almonds and walnuts. So by my count, that's almost a dozen agricultural commodities.
0: And there have been other advancements as well, according to McCaleb.
3: The nation of Jordan in the Middle East dropped its tariff on U.S. fertilized eggs, which was a really welcome step. I'll list several gains in the continent of Africa. So Nigeria recently dropped its currency exchange ban. That actually impacts 43 U.S. agricultural commodities that are all able to trade there. Kenya, we are deep in the negotiations with Kenya on an agricultural agreement. And along with that, I would note that in November, I went down to Johannesburg, South Africa for the kickoff of the AGOA reauthorization. This is our main trading agreement that we have with the whole continent of Africa.
0: Once again, that's Chief Ag Negotiator Doug McCaleb. We'll look at Weather Next with Eric Stodgrass here on Market Talk.
4: If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand.
5: Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content and much more. It's easy, just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button, or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.
1: Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation, this is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: Well, let's take a look at where things stand with our weather. Hard to believe we're getting uh, close to the middle of the month of February already. Let's talk about things. Joining us now as we take a look at what is happening with our weather forecast. Eric Stodgrass with Nutrient Ag Solutions joins us. Eric, good to catch up with you again. And let's just start. Let's kind of recap here where we've where we're at since the start of the year. I think that's a good spot for us to kind of catch up with here. So, I mean talk to us about how our weather has been moving since you know we flipped that calendar over to 2024
6: yeah for most parts across the country in a very favorable way we've watched drought be reduced we've had some really good cold air that came in in january mid-january uh we put down a bunch of snow that we then melted and a lot of that got soaked into the ground the mississippi has recovered but the only place that's really missed out on on really good moisture has been kind of the northern tier of the united states so i'm thinking you know from uh, montana over toward the up the whole northern tier of the u.s getting the canadian prairie has been left out of the flow and that's primarily been because We've had a strong subtropical jet stream but not a strong polar jet stream now february has come in very very mild so far through the first 12 days of this month the temperatures are looking when you compare in the last 132 years for most of the central part of north america like the whole of it it's the warmest we've got on record but of course that's going to change soon with some colder air that's trying to get here but Overall, I like it. I like the way that this winter shaped up in terms of getting us prepared for 2024. There has been soil moisture recovery. There's good mountain snowpack in the West. The Colorado basins at like 95% of its normal snowpack, which means the, you know, the Colorado River will be running this spring. Uh, So yeah, overall, not a bad go, despite the wild fluctuations in temperatures.
0: Well, I know we have a few different things in front of us we want to talk about, but let's start here in the near term. How are things looking for this week ahead? I'm hearing some of those rumblings of maybe a little bit cooler air trying to sneak in as you were mentioning there a little bit. So are we going to see that this week? What are we looking at?
6: We will, we're just gonna have to wait till the end of the week. First, we've got a system that over the weekend put down a lot of severe weather in the south, including some very heavy rainfall across the south. It's also one that put down snow in parts of the panhandles, getting back to Mexico and Colorado over the weekend. Well, that system's heading toward New England. And it's gonna be a bit of a mess as that system rolls into New England tomorrow. We're gonna be hitting some of the major cities in New England, like New York to Boston and every city in between with some really heavy snow. There might be a couple of places that pick up over a foot of snow. I don't think it'll be in the city. New York City, but possibly Boston gets hit pretty hard out of this. So that system rolls through. And then finally, we have something I've wanted for a while. There's actually two good-sized clippers that roll through the Northern Plains. Could add some snow into Montana and maybe into South Dakota. Could hit the Great Lakes with some snow as well. I love seeing that. But uh, at the end of the week, we're going to watch really cold air enter from Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba into North Dakota and Montana. So high temperatures will go back into the teens in that area. And the big question is how far to the south and how long does that last as it gets into the midsection of the country? And right now, I don't think it's going to last terribly long, um, not more than a few days, but uh, at least it's cold air. I mean, we haven't seen any in a long time, so uh, we'll Mm -hmm. pay attention to how, how long it lasts once it gets here.
0: All right. We will definitely keep our eyes on that. And uh I'm with you watching a couple of those clipper systems. We'll see uh, what they bring us here in the next uh, week or so ahead. And Eric, you and I were chatting before we uh went live here. Uh You're watching something interesting in the Pacific ocean right now that you told me could have an effect on our March forecast. So yeah. talk about this a little bit. What are you seeing right now?
6: So, I haven't seen the pacific polar jet that's the northern one all winter long it's just not been there and starting around the 23rd and 24th of this month some of the models are hinting at it coming back now what does that even mean Um, we've been dominated by the subtropical jet which means very weak flow over central north america if that pacific jet on the polar side comes back then it gives us a whole new look i mean we could go into a very very active march in the midsection of the country in the southeast up the east coast uh and i can't really rule out the west coast not seeing a lot of activity out of this now that's in march the west coast is going to get before we end february twice more uh so i'm I'm excited to see what this could do now it could lead to a pretty active march in terms of severe weather as well so i want to keep everybody aware that that's a potential out of this But my goodness, before we really get going hard into April and May, I'd love to have a lot of March weather. I'm talking, shoot, drop in a blizzard. I don't care. Bring in moisture. I just need it. (laughs) I need it so that we can get in, you know, kind of prepared for, um, you know, prepared for this upcoming growing season. So it's kind of a good sign.
0: Definitely a good sign. You mentioned severe weather, too. I don't want to backtrack, but what was it, last weekend we saw tornadoes in Wisconsin? That's not something we see in February. Is it?
6: No, no, it's not. But I mean, remember when that set up there, we, we had temperatures in Illinois just to the south. You know, we're, we were trying to knock on the door at 60 degrees. So mm-hmm. we opened up just a lot of warm, unstable air and popped off a, a tornado. I believe it has been ranked in a strong EF2. I'll have to go back and check. At one point, we thought yeah. it was an EF3 tornado, but we then added to that this past weekend. And by the way, just because you brought it up here, watching the Super Bowl last night, did you see the trailer for the new uh, Twisters movie? I don't know. I, I-, I saw. <laughs> so, you know, her, that movie came out when I was 16, the original one. So to see this kind of remake or sequel or whatever it is, I, I think it'll be pretty exciting to, uh, for us to kind of look forward to something this summer.
0: I agree with you on that one. I'm gonna sit down and watch it. I mean, I don't know if it can eclipse the original, but uh, (laughs) we'll see. We'll see what it could do. (laughs) That is for sure. Uh, Let's uh, let's shift our focus. Let's talk South America here, Eric. I know that we continue to watch what's going on in Brazil and Argentina. Um, We've seen some heavier rains. It looks like getting back into Argentina here the last week or so. Uh, Talk to me about how things are looking this week ahead here in South America.
6: Yeah, it's still wet after a good soaking rain we saw over the weekend in Argentina. It's still going to be wet uh, in, in parts of Argentina going forward. Uh, also, Paraguay's picking up a bunch of rain, and so is northeastern Brazil. We're a bit drier in the center-west area, but they're trying to harvest, which, as I'm sure you saw, like Mato Grosso, is still ahead of pace on harvest. It's also even ahead of pace on planting a safrina corn. So the big question is going to be, um, will El Nino show its cards here come April, which would mean, drier conditions in the center west area uh, in April, which could hurt the Sabrina crop as it's going through grain fill. And there's a lot of confusion over what this El Nino is going to do. I'm not sure if you saw this last week, but National Weather Service released their newest outlook for El Nino and La Nina, calling for a, a transition to La Nina by summer. Now, we're not arguing with that. I, I think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But the misinterpretation of the graphic is what's important. You know, you see, that's a it's a probability graphic. It's saying this is the chance of having La Nina, but people are interpreting the size of the, like the blue bar on it as being the strength of the La Nina. And I'll just tell you something. When you look back historically, a couple of our strong El Nino events that transitioned to La Nina, they don't give a clear picture on what summer could be. So for example, 1988 was a year that did that. So was 2016 I and mean, look at the two complete opposite years here in terms of what they did 88 producing massive drought 2016 for a lot of folks especially in the midwest we had adequate rains good rains uh it was drier in the southeast it was drier in parts of texas you know that was that was what 16 did so we just need to be careful with making broad assumptions about the rate at which el nino declines and la nina resurfaces i think the only thing i'm kind of quote-unquote confident about Is I think we're going to have an active severe weather season this year, more active than normal, and then I think the hurricane season is going to be very active come fall. But in between summer rains, I have no clue yet to tell you exactly who's going to get them and who's not. That's why we have to wait Mm -hmm. till spring to see the pattern set up.
0: Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, We just have to kind of wait it out and see as we know forecasting is a tough job you do a great job with it though uh, Eric as, <laughs> as much as as much as we can I know it can be frustrating for you at times but uh, we we know you do lay it out really well final thoughts from you uh here today before we run out of time anything else you're watching or anything else you want to uh, reiterate to folks today
6: Well, I would just say I mentioned 2016, and that's going to get, again, a lot of folks thinking about what happened in spring of 16 in in the markets. We had pretty good rallies in 16 uh, spring, but I just want to say that uh, I think the overall position of things is much different this year, even though 16 is an analog year in terms of weather. So just want to be clear on that uh, before we wrap it up.
0: All right. Well, I know folks can find the latest weather details and sign up for your weekly newsletter, ag-wx.com, ag-wx.com. With that, Eric Snodgrass from Nutrient Ag Solutions. Eric, good to talk with you again this week. Have a good one, and we'll talk to you next week.
6: All right. Sounds good. Thanks.
0: And once again, always appreciate the time and the knowledge there. Eric Snodgrass with Nutrien Ag Solutions joining us for a look at the weather forecast for the week ahead here today on Market Talk. And again, always great stuff. Find uh, the latest from him online, ag-wx.com. All right, well, coming up, uh, markets had a decent day to start off the week on Monday with some good strength in soybeans and soybean meal, while corn and wheat uh, kind of had two-sided trade and quiet action there. We saw a relatively two-sided trade in the livestock uh, arena as well, live cattle, lean hogs, feeders had a little more strength, energies and outside markets were relatively quiet, felt like volume was a little lower here to kick off the week on Monday. We're going to discuss John Heinberg with Total Farm Marketing as our guest analyst here today. And he joins us next on Market Talk.
4: If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand.
5: Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.
0: The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading
1: keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. Now back to market talk with Jesse Allen.
0: Well, let's take a look at how the trade acted on the day Monday to start off the week, a fairly low volume type of day, but decent strength in soybeans and soybean meal with quarter wheat and two-sided action and mixed activity over in the livestock trade. Let's talk about it. Joining us now for a market conversation, John Heinberg with Total Farm Marketing, John Good to catch up with you. hope you had a good weekend. And uh, coming out of the weekend, not bad in the markets, uh, to at least to start. Soybeans and meal, like I mentioned, kind of the upside leaders. But it felt like very low-volume type of trade on the day Monday, John
7: yeah real quiet day today just uh you know it was an update you know we got a little bit of money flowing into the corn and soybean markets really not a whole lot of news in that regard so like i said just uh like good to see some positive days it's the first time we've had one in corn in about a week and uh you know on the bean market too but really it didn't do anything it was just higher we didn't take out highs and roll the charts up you know so unfortunately just a little bit disappointing in, in that regard Uh, that, you know, they, we just see some Monday, Monday flow and looking for some news and that news isn't quite there yet. So still very cautious. The market just feels like we're in a window. We still got a lot of bushels that need to find a home, Uh, and that's still just going to keep pressure on this market overall.
0: Well, I know you watch uh, expiration of contracts and such uh, a lot here at these markets, John. I know uh, we're going to have March expiration coming up here and uh, couldn't maybe need to see some bushels. I know a lot of farmers are long right now on the market. So I wonder if that could be a source of some volatility here over the next couple of weeks in terms of the corn market, John.
7: Yeah, you know, we talk about the managed funds positioning in terms of where they are. And they're sitting on nearly 300,000 short contracts. But the commercials in the long side of the market is massively big as well. And that's something that concerns me, especially as we get to first notice day, these basis contracts that are out there. And I could put some market pressure in really quickly if they have to roll those things out into the next month. We've seen the spread between March and May starting to widen out a little bit here over the last few handful of days. So that's got me a little concerned here going into the end of the month. You know, first notice day for March is on the 29th. Uh, so, uh, And historically, we saw it happen in December, looking back to last year, that first notice day window now prices were obviously a lot more elevated last year than they were this year, but we lost 50 cents in the week of first notice day, you know, in the last week of February. So there's some correlation that's there. And just from talking to people with the amount of bushels that are out there, I still have some downside targets I'm eyeballing and we're not there yet. And that has me staying on the defensive side of this market here, at least in the short term.
0: Oh, I have to think uh, maybe one positive, China, South America, uh, they're on holiday, so they're largely out of the markets this week. Maybe that could lessen some of the volatility here, and maybe potentially allow some folks to get in here and, and manage some risk with some different strategies. I'm just thinking out loud here, John, but I wonder if the markets are a little quieter this week, if that could have something to do with options volatility and, and things like that right, right here this week. Yeah, you know, that
7: could be some of it as we get into the week, and we'll see how it goes. Typically, this when China's not in the market, that's not exactly f- – friendly for the marketplace, no. you know, if somebody's not out there as a buyer, you know, we'll have to see how harvest continues to roll along for those Brazilian beans. I saw anywhere from 21 to 26% harvested again, depending on what analysts you read. Uh, so there's still some progress being done there, but we did see the soybean premiums in Brazil come up a little bit at the end of the week. It was the first time that's happened for a while. I think maybe that was some of the spillover help today in the bean bean complex. Watching the meal market, really difficult closes last week. But nice to hang on to those gains today, at least to the level that we saw them. We've fallen back under 350 for March. Uh, Soybean meal makes me a little bit anxious. You know, what could be in front of us on the downside there? So, you know, this market's being driven by a lot of forces, especially in the soybean side right now. And mainly the biggest force is still the competition for South American supplies are from South American supplies, whether it's in the mean and the the bean market or the meal market, you know, as those things are out there. And again, we have to meet those prices to keep that product moving. And the USDA making that cut on on last week's report, taking that demand out of the balance sheet, to me, was one of the bigger cuts uh, of the day in terms of the ramifications or the implications of it or the sentiment of it going forward.
0: So, John, if I'm a producer here in this window, what do I think about in terms of my risk management? Let's let's pivot to that side of the equation, because I think you mentioned you still got some downside targets here in some of these grain markets. I think it's going to be ever so crucial to make sure you have a plan with first notice days coming up and things like that. So what would you say to folks in terms of just overall risk management and, and having that plan ready to go here in this time window?
7: Yeah, that's a very difficult uh, conversations we're having right now with guys and they, you know, what do we do with this old crop? You know, and that's unfortunately not the minority in terms of those bushels. That's what I talk about. We just got a lot of supply that needs to kind of find a home out there. You know, so I'm still staying on the defensive. I'm still protecting the carry. We're, you know, making sure we protect the 450 July window. You know, got a little bit of stuff working on DS24 today, just kind of protecting the 470 window. Not saying we're going to be married to those positions longer term, but at least let's get some handle on those old crop supplies. And I've talked about that before. At least get some type of floor under it and hope we're wrong and we see some market turn. Uh, But otherwise, there is still some downside potential there. And you know, maybe the goal is not so much the risk management, but minimizing the damage. Uh, that's already occurred and could occur if things continue to slide. You know, the other little piece this week that will be coming into play is the USDA Outlook Forum. Now, again, those are baseline projections. But, you know, you just go look at the November numbers they put out there, a carryover projection for corn at 200 and, or 2.6 billion bushels, and that could be on the low side. Uh, soybean side, again, they're keeping it under 300 for next year, but that was before that demand cut came out. On the last report so we could be looking at a 300 350 type carryover projection for new crop beans so those are going to be some numbers to watch again dealing with the market yes no maybe i guess it depends how extreme they are but it's just some more information that kind of sets us up when we start thinking about the acres in march at least where those trend line yields are going to come in at 52 for beans possibly 182 on the corn side you know, we'll have to see if those are the numbers they go with. That's the numbers they put out there for us back in November.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the outlook forum. I think at a week where we could have a, a light news week, that could definitely be a, a big one to watch here as we go through things. And I know too, we got a lot of economic data going to hit the markets this week in terms of CPI, PPI, things like that. That that general economy inflation data. I think that's another piece we could watch, too, not only in the grain sector, but in the meat sector as well here, John, as we segue to livestock a little bit. That seems to me like that could be an area where we have a little bit of news to impact the markets here this week as well.
7: Yeah, very much so. Again, you know, the consumer price concerns are going to be one of the things that you know drive this cattle market as well as the hog market higher. You know, we'll have to see what those numbers come in. Where are we at in terms of the consumer dollar? What do they have available to them? You know, so those inflation numbers will be very, very key. You know, you go look at cattle today. Now we're hitting the Lent window. Okay, Lent starts uh, this week on the Valentine's Day area. Uh, so does that come into play at least in some of the consumer demand? Historically, we do see a bit of a February peak into the first of March window here, uh, with some pullback. Even had that last year, despite the rally, we had some softening for a few dollars in the same time frame. So that'll be something I'm going to be watching for. It does keep me a little bit optimistic the kettle market longer term, just because of the pure fact that you know the fundamentals are still there and some weakness might be the opportunity to step back in. Now, with that. You know, we'll have to see what those numbers give us. The biggest thing I'm watching, too, that's really kind of got me a little concerned about the commodity space, you know, is that equity market. Strong move in the S&P. We're well over 5,000 on the S&P today. Dow is pushing a couple hundred points higher at midday again. You know, is the money just going there because there's some excitement at least moving in that marketplace? You know, and that's something that I think can limit the commodity space overall. Again, it's just where the money wants to be. And, you know, sitting in a core market where we're not making a whole lot on a daily basis is something that we could see, you know, that money flow slow down and, again, just grind this market along until it's got some reason to move somewhere.
0: Oh, that's a, a good thought, good perspective on that. Uh, one other thought on the livestock side, too. Uh, I know cattle packers kind of blinked first late Friday. We got that big jump in cash trade. Uh, feeders felt like they reacted to that a little bit on Monday while the fat cattle market was still trying to get a handle on things. I wonder... Chatter that Packers might slow down chain speeds here this week, potentially. I wonder if that could have an impact on the cash cattle market this week, John?
7: That was pretty much the entire 2023 story as the pack is slowing down the, the chain. So, you know, we'll have to watch it again. It still comes down to production. It comes down to the weights, where we are. You know, I, I do think some of that cash trade was priced in with the strength that we had last week. You know, Feb's trading 184, April 186, basically today on the close. It was obviously over that at the open with prices being down today. You know, so when cash trade came in where it did, it was already covered. And uh, so maybe that's some of the reason we saw the walk back in lives, but I think you're correct. And the other thing I'm watching too, that spread between front month, back month feeders has really been moving. It was trading 23 last week. Now it's 19 and a half or 1990 here at the close today. You know, we're starting to see that gap narrow uh, between like the April feeders to October. And uh, so that's something I've been eyeballing. Just thinking maybe those front end feeders, given what guys are paying out there for them, are a little bit undervalued still here. And uh, I still think there's some good money flow there because, again, what the feeder index is and what the cash market is and the futures market are basically all different stories. And what producers have to pay is not reflective of what we're seeing here in the board.
0: John, good thoughts. If folks want to reach out to you, get some advice there at Total Farm Marketing, how can they get a hold of you?
7: Sure. I love to chat with them anytime. Give me a call, 800-334-9779. Shoot me an email at johnh.totalfarmmarketing.com. And don't forget that website of ours, TotalFarmMarketing.com.
0: John Heinberg, always good to chat with you, my friend. Thanks for joining us on Market Talk today. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again real soon.
7: Sounds good. Have a great week.
0: And we always appreciate it. John Heinberg, there with Total Farm Marketing joining us for analysis here as we recapped Monday's session. Again, a fairly quiet day, decent money flow led by soybean meal and soybeans on the day with quarter wheat mixed in two-sided action while we saw feeder cattle have a pretty solid day to the upside as well on Monday. Crude oil relatively quiet, hanging just below $77 a barrel as well to kick off the week of trade. We're going to run through some of the closes and take a look at news headlines here before we wrap up our time on today's Market Talk. We'll be back with more on the way right after the break.
4: If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand.
5: Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube.
1: The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen.
0: And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks again to John Heinberg from Total Farm Marketing for joining us and providing market analysis here today. Also, thanks to Eric Snodgrass with Nutrient Act Solutions for A look at the weather for the week ahead. Good to talk with both those guys each and every week here on Market Talk. A few of the closes uh, real quick before we take a look at some news headlines. Uh, March corn was up 1.5 on Monday, 4.30 and a half. July corn up 1.5, 4.52 and a quarter. December new crop corn up a penny, 4.69 and a quarter. March soybeans up 9.5, 11.93. July up 7 to 3 quarters, 12.07 and a half. November new crop beans up 5, 11.68 and 3 quarters. Soybean meal for March up 210 a ton, 348.90. March bean oil down 36 points, 46.90. March Chicago wheat, three quarters higher, 597 and a half. July down three quarters at six and a quarter. March Kansas City wheat down two and three quarters, five ninety-eight and three-quarters Monday. July down four and three-quarters, five eighty-nine. March spring wheat down one and three quarters, 682 and a half. July down one and a quarter, 684 and three quarters. Oats for March, three higher, 378 and a quarter. Canola was mainly one to two higher on the session. We look over at the cotton market. March cotton down 125 points, 90.53. May down 92 points at 91.30. Over in the livestock trade, Live cattle for February down 37, 184.25. April down 80, 185.92. June live cattle down 45, 183.52. Feeder cattle march up 167, 248.82. April up 140, 253.17. Lean hogs, February down 10, 7357. April hogs down 2 at 81.12. And June hogs down 12 at 94.87. That's a recap of... The closing market action that we saw on Monday's market trade across grains and livestock. Well, with the U.S. beef herd at record low levels, producers may finally be thinking of starting a rebuild. Dr. Dan Tracy, Beef Technical Services with Zoetta says it's a big decision.
4: There's a lot of things we need to take in consideration. I'm glad to see that rebuilding of the herd because that's a good thing because we're in a state where we probably need to be. The considerations we need to make is well, there's a lot dependent on these heifers because they make up the history of the herd moving forward. They set the pace of the herd moving forward. So we want to select heifers more towards the beginning in that, uh, of that calving season because we know they stay in the herd longer. We know their offspring outperform reproductively and on the steering production-wise too. So we made that commitment to do so. The rebuilding begins with selecting the right heifers. But we know there's also a value money that we have to spend on these heifers until we get them into the pre-breeding phase as far as feed, vaccines, veterinary care as far as doing some reproductive scores or pelvic measures. And we know there's a cost on the per calf to pay that back. We also taking advantage of new technology as far as genomics, to actually identify those replacements earlier, depending on where we want to meet our genetic expectation of the herd moving forward so we can make decisions about that heifer earlier, whether we market her as more of the beef industry or we continue forward by bringing her to a part of the, being a replacement.
0: That's Dr. Dan Tracy with Zoetis. Well, protecting our nation's farmlands from foreign adversaries is the idea behind a series of bills introduced by U.S. Representative Dan Newhouse from Washington State. A Republican says recent reports show the USDA has no system in place to keep track of American agricultural lands purchased by foreign entities.
2: Well, that is a frustration, absolutely, and that's something that we're trying to address. In fact, I have a meeting to address exactly that, to come up with ways that the USDA can more readily gather that information and monitor it.
0: Newhouse says the problem has been overlooked.
2: The over 8,000 different counties throughout the United States is where these transactions happen. And to collate and gather all of that information, there is not a system in place currently to do that.
0: And so Newhouse says they're looking into it.
2: We are trying to be as creative as possible to come up with a system that will allow at USDA to uh, better monitor the sales of agricultural assets at, at a reasonable cost to the taxpayer. And so those are, the, those are the questions that we're looking at right now.
0: That's Washington State Congressman Dan Newhouse. Well, American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duval sent a letter to the Environmental Protection Agency asking the agency to allow farmers to use existing dicamba stocks for the upcoming season. An Arizona court vacated the registration of three dicamba products critically important for farmers in fighting resistant weeds. Duvall says, quote, many farmers have already made planting decisions to use dicamba-tolerant crop systems and have planned to use dicamba products in the near future. These farmers invested in substantial sums in the dicamba-resistant seeds in reliance on EPA's prior approval of dicamba on these crops, end quote. Now, he adds that without those products, not only are the substantial investments at risk, but farmers don't know how they'll protect their crops. American Farm Bureau is asking EPA to issue an existing stock order to ensure dicamba remains available to farmers throughout the growing season. Duvall added, quote, we are committed to the safe use of all crop protection tools, end quote. And also here today on the program, a dairy checkoff partnership is putting hot chocolate milk into the hands of students during a pilot with a leading school food service company. National Dairy Council and Chartwell's K-12, which serves more than 2 million meals daily at 700 U.S. school districts, have launched a hot chocolate milk program in 58 schools. Lisa Hatch, Vice President of Business Development, well, the National Dairy Council says the pilot, which will run through the end of the school year, features real chocolate milk served hot during breakfast and lunch.
1: There's this interesting shift happening with young people right now, and especially when it comes to their attitude about healthy eating. So as it turns out, chocolate milk or hot chocolate really hits the spot. It's not just a treat the kids really love but it also meets the healthy beverage guidelines set by schools.
0: National Dairy Council began working with Chartwell's K-12 last year on a dairy-based smoothie program, which is available to all Chartwell schools following a successful pilot.
1: We have a really proven track record with Chartwell's. In 2023-24, we partnered with them and launched a smoothie program in about 130 of their schools, which was really well received and drove significant dairy and meal participation across the board.
0: The smoothie program's success led to a what's-the-next-big-thing discussion between the partners. They focused on hot chocolate, which had a global market size valued at $3.8 billion in 2022 and is expected to grow to $5.77 billion by the year 2030.
1: So, what we're seeing so far is really positive. Kids are very excited. Again, this is anecdotal at this point, but what we're hearing is it's so successful in some situations that it's a little bit too good because every kid wants to take it and really they're drinking it down to the last drop, which is great to see.
0: And you can get more information, learn more about the dairy checkoff online. Just go to usdairy.com forward slash four dash farmers, F O R dash farmers. Again, usdairy.com forward slash. 4-Farmers right, we're out of time here on Market Talk today. Thanks again for joining us on the program Appreciate the time with John Heimberg and Eric Snodgrass coming up on our next program. We'll talk markets with Jim McCormick from agmarket.net Have a great rest of your day. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to Market Talk